Hey guys, before we start the show, Joe and I wanted to tell you about something very special. Yes, the Movie Bite podcast is ending in a few episodes. We're so sad. And we wanted to do something very special for our fans and for ourselves and, well, our family. So we are bringing to you the Movie Bite podcast t-shirt. The t-shirt comes in any size you need and is available in two colors, Movie Bite Red and that wonderful Space Gray. We think they both look absolutely awesome. I totally agree, TJ. Aside from looking cool, when you go to the movie theater, buying one or more of these shirts will help us out to fund our new endeavors and reboot the show and do some other things in the pipeline. Wait a minute, Joe. Did did you say reboot? That's right, TJ, because we're rebooting the Movie Bite podcast and turning it into something new and, you know, awesome. Like, you know, hey, Movie Bite is awesome. This is going to be awesome part two. So even though we're retiring the name, we think that you're going to love what we're up to. So stay tuned, and in the meantime, head over to moviebyte.com slash t-shirt to buy one of your very own MovieByte t-shirts. Now let's review some movies. He turned a lot of people into blubbering blobs of goo because he didn't perfect the technology, and he killed a poor little defenseless sheep, and oh my goodness, that just broke Evangeline Lilly's heart, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, that the, they have to stop him from killing all the sheep, Joe. That's what they have. That's what they have to do. That's the, that's what this villain is up to: is killing all the little baby lambs. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 145 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers ants and more i'm tj the ant man and joining me today is my good friend who talks very fast and goes into great detail with his stories it's lewis i mean joe darnell hi joe (laughs) why do i have to be lewis why do i have to be one of the wombats tj come on man i you know it's just it's one of those things i just i had to i I couldn't help myself Mm, that makes me angry I'm going to turn into a big, giant rage monster. Yes, but are you going to go into great detail about how that's going to happen? Um, Not today. I'll I'll spare you the details. Okay, we just edited it out, all of the part where I got into the details. Could it carry on, TJ? Okay, okay. Well, um, so, uh, first of all, we have this Back to the Future trilogy coming to theaters. What is up with this? Wait, what? Yes. What what year is this? (laughs) It's it's 1985, obviously. (laughs) So this is following up on what we reported last week that the Blu-ray release was coming out and we had a flux capacitor box and all this cool stuff. And, and now in time for the 30th anniversary, um, the, uh, they're coming to the theater. So, uh, this article says it turns out you won't, uh, that, that won't be the only way you celebrate the classic time travel trilogy, referring to the Blu-rays. He uh-huh. says, because buried in a press release for the new Blu-ray set is word that the entire Back to the Future trilogy will also be returning to theaters that same day. And there's another cool hmm. item for fans, uh, they want to pick up as well. Um, uh, and that is, um, a new picture disc vinyl soundtrack. 
uh, release for Back to the Future, which will be available on August 16th. I think Chad, it, as he's listening to this episode right now, he's probably just geeking out and, and completely freaking out. Mm. Who's Chad? Uh, Chad, he, he, he died some time ago, uh, and it, it left us, but, um, oh, he man, used to host the movie by podcast, um, oh, when shucks. you were dead. Yeah. Huh. So, so anyway, so the movies will be in theaters on, uh, October the 21st, apparently. Um, and so that's going to be pretty cool. I want to be keeping my eyes open for that. I want to see at least one of these on the big screen. I've never seen back to the future on the big screen, Joe. I was too young when they came out and that's really mm. frustrating. And I wasn't even born yet. Uh, Okay. Well, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I had to think about that. Okay, I, <laughs> I wasn't around were. in 1955. You're not that much younger than I am. I know and I'm an I, old man, and I have my ways and old crotchety ways, but I, you know, not. That, yeah, I'm you not wear that glasses. Young. You're an old man. Yes, <laughs> I wear well, so, I, I wear glasses too. ironically. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, the future is about to get heavy. Great, Scott. Yeah, no, this is pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about this. I'm more, I, I don't know if I'm more interested in seeing it in the theater or seeing it on the Blu-rays because mm. the Blu-rays are going to give you all the bonus material and seeing it in theaters is just something that we never got to do. So like I said, this is a, a golden opportunity. But at the same time, I'm kind of uh, suspicious. Are we worried at all that they're going to try and change anything in the special effects or the soundtrack or add a few sound effects so that I- – you know, when Marty McFly's lace-up shoes go into action, you know, it sounds like, you know, something stupid, you know, like they would do to a Spielberg reboot or, sorry, rescreening. I hope not. I, I can't imagine. I think I don't think Spielberg would be in favor of that, so I don't think that'll happen. Uh, he, he well, was so the, we're not saying Spielberg was the director of Back to the Future. No, I'm no, just he's, but he was involved and he was the producer and stuff, so. Uh, he was at least, as far as I can tell, he was pretty closely involved. Um, so I believe he was producer, and yeah, he probably had some recommendations to put into the script. But I don't in know if any he was event, really and I don't think Robert Zemeckis is that kind of guy either. So, and he was the director. Mm. So we have no specifics on where the Back of the Future trilogy will be screening. Uh, they have not been revealed. Um, so in theaters we'll, we'll just, in America we'll, near you. Yeah, and then this is October twenty first because they're saying it'll be the same day the Blu ray arrives, which is October twenty first uh, of this year. So. Um, is that, that, that is, by the way, that is the same day Marty McFly and Doc Brown traveled to the future and Back to the Future Part Two, uh, October twenty first, two thousand fifteen. That's so that that seems uh, obvious to put them back in theater. So mm. I will be keeping my eyes peeled. Hope I'm hoping they'll come to my local theater. It's so far away. It's five minutes from my new house. So uh, I'm, I'm keeping my eyes peeled for that. Uh, yeah, that's a way to bring in the celebration of Halloween, Halloween's Eve. I should probably, we'll we should probably get Chad to drive up here and you can drive up here to Nashville and we can all go see it together. Oh yeah. Spend the night, chew on popcorn, yeah. think about stuff, totally. tell scary stories. Yeah. Joe, shall we uh, talk about the good dinosaur on uh, the, the oh, first, uh, the, the first full length trailer? If you're tempted, I say we should. Okay, let's do it. to stop it right there because there's no there's no dialogue in this trailer and that's pretty much all the trailer has to offer as far as sound is that music right there mm. uh, and some fireflies yeah fireflies, fireflies a dinosaur prancing around a little boy and uh, a lot of uh, touchy-feely i don't know what, what are you thinking joe i thought he was prehistoric man mm. Mm. i don't think so this is supposed to be it's- present day but like the future the the, the Things have been altered because the, what, ha- what was supposed to have happened and killed off the dinosaurs didn't. That was my understanding. Say what you want, but this kid looks pretty lost. 
Well, sure. But but present day is not like present day as we know it. I'm just saying in terms of time frame. That's my understanding. I could be completely wrong. I don't know. I, and the, I think the, the dinosaur the, needs his knees to be checked. They're, <laughs> they're bulging. That's pretty painful. This movie has failed in any way to capture me, the trailers at least, and the idea of it. Like, I, I mean, I know it's Pixar – and I know Pixar just put out one of the best movies I've seen this year with Inside Out, but I'm just not captured by anything about this film yet. Are you? I'm not really, but I have a theory that they're trying to appeal to a younger demographic. So oh, this for film sure. is intentionally pretty for adults to take their kids to. But then yes. they what they would really like to do is make a film that's so incredibly charming for really young kids mm-hmm. that there is something in this film – when we look back on it, people will say, you know, Pixar never really did this before where they focused on a very young audience. Mm. Maybe this is where they're trying to say, hey, you know, we we really love to give you the movies like Up where we focus on adult themes that sometimes go over children's heads. So we throw in a Boy Scout to try and make it more accessible so, to them. So you don't think that Monsters, Inc., for instance, was really focused on kids? I don't think so, man. Mm. I thought it was all about uh, the parents, you know, this blue monster adopting a human child and no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be, you know, there'll be some, something better than what I'm seeing. I'm just, and then I'm not saying it's going to be bad. I'm just, and, and I don't even know what I'm saying because it's just like, I don't have a good sense of what is going on with this film. Now you've got me thinking about monsters incorporated. I think that movie was really about child abuse. <laughs> it went re- obviously i mean they were mm. they were abusing the children to get the screams the scream power mm. and and really what we should do is we should go into our kids rooms and wake them up at night to tell them jokes and tickle them yeah obviously. tickle fights obviously. after after bed absolutely only after bed uh i don't know if i have a lot more to say about good dinosaur i just you know i really don't either I, i'm not saying that they're making a mistake I don't think it, I think it's too early to tell if Pixar is making a gross mistake like Brave or Cars the, Two. The thing is, I've never been less interested in a Pixar film. It's really weird. Um, like like even though I had concerns about Inside Out, I knew I wanted to see it from everything that I knew about it from the trailer. It just hooked me right away. And this film hasn't really hooked me. And even, you know all the other like the only other time I have been not so interested in in a trailer or, or something that Pixar did uh, was with Brave. Um, and maybe they should have named it the great dinosaur, not the good dinosaur. It's not, it's not good enough. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. The magic dragon, you know, that sounds like something you can get into, (laughs) but just the good dinosaur, you know, it sounds like, Oh, well, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. But again, I should have more faith in Pixar because they did just put out inside out, which is probably maybe I'm still thinking about it, but probably Mm. their best film. Probably. Maybe. And Maybe. speaking of faith in films, yes. Sam Raimi has a lot of faith in Marvel's uh, Spider-Man reboot. Yes, yes, he does. Angie Han has written over at Slash Film as Spider-Man gears up for yet another reboot. This time, as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Sam Raimi, who directed the first Spider-Man feature, has weighed in with his thoughts. Sam Raimi says, I'm really glad that Marvel is taking it to high school. I think that's going to be refreshing, and just like my favorite of the Spider-Man comic books. And I have a lot of faith that they really know their stuff. The difficulty is going through high school. The difficulty of going through high school is so unique to a superhero. It's unique, and that's what Spider-Man is all about. And so that's what we're they're going to explore. That They're going to explore that head-on is very exciting. Mm. <sighs> you know, this isn't the first time that we've seen Peter Parker in high school, so I have a hard mm. time appreciating his statement. But but since the movie, like the movies were all set college age. No, they weren't. 
Wasn't the first of the Garfield movies showing scenes in high school? Maybe it was. Maybe I'm confused. I was thinking And the first Tobey Maguire film started in high school. By the end of the film, he was graduated. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of the second film. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking something about I think I know what he means, though, because the films really didn't dwell on Peter's experiences and truly sink into a natural pace throughout his high school life. And yeah. if that's what they really want to do with these, then it's it's a little bit more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know? You can get into Which I enjoy the, quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, TJ is a huge fan of campy teenage drama, so <laughs> right, I'm the poster child for that, yes. <laughs> no. no. Speaking not of really. Buffy, TJ, I just wanted to make it known. I've I've been watching the show. Yeah. I have I have many thoughts. I have many thoughts. I have many feels about that show. I can see that of why it's so, it's better you, than I expected. Where are you at? Episode eight. Oh, so you even haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. The good stuff really doesn't start until partway through season two. Not if that I the make first it, season. Not the first. Not that the first season is bad. I wouldn't put it on Star Trek: The Next Generation level bad by any means. You know, Star Trek: The Next Generation first and second seasons were deplorable, with a couple of exceptions. And um, Buffy is not like that, but but it really takes uh, – I don't know. What the show really is to me begins to emerge in the in – the, for, after a few episodes of season two, um, and you really get into some moving things. I've, I've been rewatching the show because I – even though I have a lot of new shows I want to watch, I just like – my wife and I were like, let's just – we've been watching all this new stuff. Let's just sit down and watch some Buffy. It's, it's a known quantity, and it, it'll be fun. It's been a couple of years since we watched it. Uh, so, uh, so we're, we're watching, we just finished season two. It's such a, I, I won't spoil it, but it's such a tearjerker, the end of season two. So, um, you know, I just can't get over what you said a moment ago, TJ, that you were comparing Star Trek to Buffy. I, that's, that's I'm not really comparing cute them. I'm just saying, if you want, uh, like, like I'm just saying in terms of how bad the first couple seasons of TNG were. Um, mm. Buffy's not like that. So I'm not embarrassed when I tell people watch Buffy, but the first season you got to, no, 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 it's not like that. Where I, with TNG, I'm like, watch Star Trek, the next generation, but maybe start with season three. Just don't even watch seasons one and two. If you're iffy about the show, uh, I don't feel that way about Buffy. Uh, mm. why are we talking about Buffy? How do we get there from Spider-Man? I guess the high school thing. Uh, I think it's your fault. Yeah. TJ. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, so I'm not all that excited about seeing uh, Spider-Man in high school again. I'd really rather pick him up as an adult wearing the suit. Oh, really? Yeah. No, this is a good idea. Well, this so is part something of the, we haven't seen with any of the superheroes. Uh, part of the reason is because I'm so exhausted from the re- all the reboots. It's um, because you watched too much of the Smallville show back in the day. Yeah, I've watched exactly three episodes. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I'm just not excited about this whole reboot thing. And going back to teenage Spider-Man feels very, very, very rebooty. Even though Feige has confirmed we're not getting a, an origin story here. But how do you not get an origin story if you're picking up a kid who who who's barely had time to, to – to, he's still in school for crying out loud. Mm. You know, well, he's, he's I would assume that he has his powers, he has his spider suit, and he's gone out on the weekends a couple of times, and now he thinks he can do anything he wants over New York, swinging around on webs. And then we pick up in <sighs> the first movie that he appears in with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the Avengers are going to stop and somehow become involved in his origin story. It's just what happens in the movie is what happens right after his origin story. And he's a young Parker that 
is very wet behind the ears, doesn't know what he's doing. And he's inspired by the Avengers and thinks, well, I live in New York and I've seen how the Avengers were just here a few years ago and they tried to save the city. What happens the day, the day that they're here again, trying to kill each other and they need some help? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I am excited for Marvel to get their hands on it. Marvel's doing good work. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm being old man TJ here. And I know it. Um, but what you're the, really looking forward to is the retired old Spider-Man. You, yeah. You're looking forward to seeing when he like. Well, I mean, grows. I didn't like want him using a cane to get around or anything. I just wanted him to be more grown up. I didn't want to have to deal with with uh, angsty teenage Spider-Man again because um, we got that with uh, with Andrew Gar uh, uh, Andrew Garfield, and we got that with Tobey Maguire, and I just don't want it again. I don't want it mm -hmm. again. Um, but at the same time, I love the first three Spider-Man films. I loved Sam Raimi's work. Uh, yes, the third one wasn't as good as it should have been, but it was fine. And so to hear Sam Raimi saying that he's excited about what's coming is 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 nice. But at the same time, he also said later in the article that I'm reading here that he really loved Mark Webb's Spider-Man. And so that takes a couple of points off of him for me. I know for you, it's fine because you like the first Amazing Spider-Man and whatever. But I just... Mm. I actually took issue with something else he said in his article here. He said that he loved the first of the two Mark Webb films... And then he complimented something else in the article. Go read it. Uh, I just I didn't like what it suggested. It seemed like he just he's just a big fan about all things Spider Man, and so he's going right. to shower any of them with forgiveness. Right, like he, right. He's, he only sees them through rose colored glasses. So anything that they can do, you know, that just can't do any wrong. And he just seems to like all interpretations. It's sort of like comic books, TJ. You know, there isn't just one Spider-Man anymore. There's Ultimate Spider-Man. There's Spider-Man. There's Amazing Spider-Man. There's I, Multiverse Spider-Man. I just don't like that. You I know, don't like it either. You know what I would like to see, though? Uh, I there were two. So what I really wanted, I knew was never going to happen. I don't even think I've said this on the podcast before. What I really wanted was for Tobey Maguire to come back and play Spider-Man in the Marvel universe and just mm. say it was all the same. Impossible. Universe. He's too uh, old. No, no, but see, I would like that because now no. he's, a, no. he'd be older than Captain America. So are you saying Spider-Man can't age? Is that what you're saying? No, he can, but on the timetable that would make him older than Captain America. So what? He, he would so be what? like Tony Stark's peer. So what? Come on. And Toby McGuire is not that old, uh, but, but so, old. so, so no, you're old. So the, the, uh, <laughs> no, you are mommy. I'm telling, <laughs> I'm telling mommy. Um, so what I, what, the second thing that I wanted that I also know is not going to happen, but is more feasible would be interesting. I think to have Sam Raimi come and direct a, a Spider-Man film in the Marvel universe. I would actually like that. I would too. Yes. Even if they wanted to basically put strings on him. You know, there are strings on Sam Raimi and, you know, toy with what he must do to execute the script in a particular fashion and give them a different interpretation of Spider-Man that wasn't the same as the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I'd be okay with that yeah. because at least you're dealing with a true fan that's dedicated to the cause. But I don't think that that would really turn out well after what happened with Spider-Man 3. It seems <sighs> like he was, disenfranchised with the he was disenfranchised with the producers. It seems very abundantly clear that – Part of the problem with that film in and of the production was that Sam Raimi had a huge issue with having multiple villains. He was hoping to have one film dedicated to, to Sandman. And the producer said, no, we have to make this bigger, more awesome and amazing than what you've previously done. So you must have another villain. Oh, look at this. Uh, you know, statistics show that Venom is a really popular villain. So throw him in there too. And that was why it was just such a mixed bag in that So film. you're saying it's not Sam Raimi's fault. 
Oh, it wasn't. It was the producers. I totally. So blame. why don't you want Sam Raimi to come direct a Marvel film? I would be. <laughs> did did I say that I'm opposed to that? No, I'm in favor. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking that he would be basically disenfranchised with Sony pictures and anyone over there who still maintains the rights. And it is still Sony. Like Marvel, it would be difficult for him to see past that and yeah. just take care of the good of the picture and the good of the story. If they were still trying to manipulate Sam, because I got the impression that they thought that they should. And that was their biggest mistake ever. Well, speaking of franchises, uh, did you know that Pacific Rim two is going to be shooting in November and the possible title has been revealed? Did you know this, Joe? Did you is know that it? the title? It's horrible. Possible title revealed? That's, that stinks. <laughs> no, the uh, so Pacific Rim Two, Guillermo del Toro, he's gearing up to shoot Pacific Rim Two. It shoots in Toronto in November, according to a new report, and that same report also puts forward a title for the film, which is uh, the code name, possibly, or maybe it is the title, but Maelstrom. So Maelstrom, Maelstrom, Maelstrom. You sure? Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure. Pretty okay. sure that's how you say that. I think it's misspelled. Which is, uh, the dictionary says it's a powerful whirlpool in the in a sea or a river. Oh, uh, that's obviously the word. Yeah, it says a situation or state of confused movement or violent turmoil. The train station was in a maelstrom or was a maelstrom of crowds. <sighs> I'm looking forward to this film. I am too. Um, I really liked Pacific Rim far more than I thought I would. And as Fizz was uh, want to say in the episode that we recorded about that, uh, whenever that was, it was back in episode like 50 something, I want to say. Uh, he said that it was like uh, Guillermo del Toro punching Michael Bay in the <laughs> face every time that a, a Jaeger punched a, uh, a, 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 I don't know exactly how I said it. It was like, that's how you make a movie. It was like punching Michael Bay in the face. I remember that. That was really good. That was your <laughs> I, favorite I episode. To, yes, I have to agree. Um, it was really, really good. I was really blown away. It wasn't like Shakespeare or anything, but I, it was a good, solid four-star film. Uh, I had a good plot and story. Now, what I am concerned about with Pacific Rim Two is no Idris Elba. How do you how do you make Pacific Rim without him? Because hmm. uh, spoiler alert for Pacific Rim, uh, you know his character, as far as we know, is um, not alive. <laughs> so uh, I think it would be very be tempting of this film franchise to replace him with a sort of a copycat of the character, a, a replica of the character, if you will, mm, no. another one off of the assembly line, because there's still, they're going to need a strong presence to fill the shoes of a leader inside of the, the troops, you know, organization. So I, I think that that would be very tempting for them. I, I, can you see that? And sort of a, and sort of just no, following the pattern of the franchise, you know how it seems like movies these days echo their past films. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying if they thought what were the reasons for why Pacific Rim was so successful, it'd be easy for them to imitate and copy the, themselves. Um, I, and I, I certainly have faith well, in is, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, this is Guillermo del Toro we're talking about. But. I, I just don't know. I, I love everything he touches, everything he does. I, I'm not a huge fan of what was that demon movie he did? Hellboy, Hellboy two. Hellboy, I'm not I have, a huge fan I of those two. I want to see those. I haven't seen them yet. I I've mean, it has them. Ron they're Perlman okay. and everything in it. Come on, it's got to be good. Yeah, they're uh, really, they're really well done. Yeah, but uh, if nothing else, we're going to get a great soundtrack out of this. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah, I haven't listened to the Pacific Rim soundtrack lately. I need to go back to that. I can't even remember what it's... It's great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, Charlie Hunnam, uh, Charlie Day, Byrne Gorman are all expected to be back, as well as, although this is, like, it's separated, like, Rinko Kikuchi, I can't remember, I don't know if that's how you say her name. Anyway, she should be on hand <laughs> as well. <laughs> it, 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 so, she should be on hand as well, is what the article says. So, apparently, they don't have confirmation for her. I certainly hope she's back, because she was certainly, like, a powerful driving force mm. in the film. So. Well, if we're not getting Tron Legacy 2, then at least we have Pacific Rim 2. Right? <laughs> yeah. Small consolation prize. Yeah, I'm not really consoled. And and it's just too bad that, that he had to kill uh, Idris Elba's character because I really loved him in Pacific Rim. So, yeah, it's uh, shooting in November. Looking forward to that. Um, I don't think this has a release date anywhere in the article. Uh, oh, wait, here we go. Um, duh, 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 whatever the title ends up being, it is scheduled for release on August the 4th of 2017. That is my wife's birthday. Maybe I'll take her for her birthday. She'll like that. Really? No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> have I met uh, your wife? <laughs> uh, I don't think you have, actually. Maybe. Mm. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, no, I mean, she likes movies, but that probably would not be what she would want to do on her birthday. Mm. So. Has your wife been on our podcast? She was once, right? No, she's never been on the podcast. She's not one much much of one for public speaking and that sort of thing. Really? So, oh, okay. And I'm not either. But conversations in public are different from public speaking. Uh okay. I mean, you know, giving a presentation or something would not. Anyway, this is a sidetrack. This is what people tune in for. Is this a show? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, we have a review today of a film. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, actually. Wait, what? TJ, Newsflash, a Marvel movie is in theaters right now? What it are you is. talking about? The, this is the end of Marvel Phase 3. We're going to be reviewing today Ant-Man. Imagine a soldier the size of an insect. The ultimate secret weapon. You give godlike powers to everyone, it's gonna be chaos. So how do we stop him? By knowing I. Scott, I've been watching you for a while. You're different. And I believe everyone deserves a shot at redemption. Do you? Absolutely. My days of breaking into places and stealing stuff are over. What do you want me to do? I want you to break into a place and steal some stuff. Makes sense. <laughs> that was from the trailer for Marvel's Ant-Man. It was released on July the 17th, 2015. It had a budget of $130 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $57.2 million. The worldwide gross is $120 million thus far. Uh, the critic consensus is that, led by a charming performance from Paul Rudd, Ant-Man offers Marvel thrills on an appropriately smaller scale, albeit not as smoothly as its most successful predecessors. The director uh, was Peyton Reed. You may have read about the drama about that, where Edgar Wright was unceremoniously fired and Peyton Reed was hired to take his place. But the writers were Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. The stars of this film are Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stoll, Bobby Can Cannavale, and Michael Pena. The composer was Christoph Beck, and let me just say, this may be the dullest Marvel score yet. Uh, so that's mm. unfortunate. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us about the storyline? Yep, I have a few things here. Uh, armed with a super suit with the astonishing ability to shrink in scale but increase in strength. 
cat burglar Scott Lang must embrace his inner hero and help his mentor, Dr. Hank Pym, plan and pull off a heist that will save the world. Sounds the world, exciting. Man. Sounds exciting. Okay, and, Joe. Uh, yeah, it was. Was it exciting? Did you love it? Yes, I did. I really did, actually. Uh, your what, your initial impressions seem to be what, down what, on this movie. What, would you say this is a film of, I don't know, small ambitions? Oh, burn. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being a little bit too harsh, but uh, I would say that uh, well, it, was, well, it was just a, it was just a pun, dude. It was just a joke. It, but it's certainly not as ambitious as many of the other Marvel films, and that's not necessarily bad. But I just thought it was nice to, you know, mm. small ambitions. Just remember, small, TJ, I only let you have three before I get angry in the, <laughs> when the podcast, you know, in, during the podcast. So okay, that's well, one. That's well, if strike. you get angry, will you end the podcast at 150 episodes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, so Ant-Man, it's part heist, part sci-fi, it's yeah. comedy, action, and two-hour-long trailer for another Avengers flick. So yes. I, I like <laughs> that combination. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a lot, a lot of people gripe and complain about how every Marvel movie feels like a trailer for the next movie. And A, I don't agree, but B, like I, I actually am liking the way Marvel is starting to intertwine these movies. It's starting to feel... Even more, like I've never really had a problem with it other than Iron Man 2, but it's feeling much even more natural and, and cohesive and like the universe is coming together and it's starting to become a cohesive whole. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not at all opposed to what they're doing there. Um, I, I, I will say coming into Ant-Man, um, I didn't care about the character. I'd, I'd barely ever heard of him. Uh, I thought it sounded stupid and... Marvel has done it yet again, taken a character I hadn't heard about or didn't care about and made me like it and not and, and care about it. Yeah, so. for the fact of the matter, I think that that's true about most of the audience. I don't think anyone I know of was looking forward to this film. After seeing the trailers, the response was very meh. You know, I was actually more interested in this movie than anyone else I know. And that being said, I didn't know anything about the character. Mm-hmm. No one has really ever boasted of Ant-Man's exploits over the years. And I can see why uh, well, as sounds, someone who's more, it sounds really dumb. It does. And as someone who's more familiar with the DC comics universe, I thought that Ant-Man sounded just like he was a ripoff of Adam man mm, from DC mm. comics. Now, Adam man never did anything amazing. I thought it was, except, the, you know, I thought it was the Adam or am I just thinking of Air, the arrow TV show? You know, you might be right. And he, he they may have flip flopped on his name over the years. No, it is. I know the, that there was an Adam or the Adam, but not Adam man. The Adam there is was a fictional a, superhero appearing in comic books published by DC comics. The Adam was created by editor and co-plotter Julius Schwartz. And there is a, there is definitely a superhero called Adam man off and on. And I actually think that, Marvel and DC comics may have a character named Adam man. We'll follow up on that later. Uh, but yeah, this was actually a pretty unique take on something that kind of reminds you of Spider-Man and, but it's different because Spider-Man doesn't have a relationship with spiders. He gets bit. He changes internally. His genes are all screwed up. And then that sets the course for superpowers. So whereas, so check out that link I just put in the show notes. That's Adam Man versus Superman. I think it's something entirely different. Oh, that that does sound interesting. Hmm. I'm clicking on it. Is that some kind of like YouTube video? Where no, no, you know, it's it's uh, Wikipedia. It's a it, so Adam Man versus Superman was a comic book, but I don't think it has anything to do with the Adam. This actually looks like it was a movie, a really old movie. Yeah, it was released in 1950, July 20th, 1950. Uh, yeah. There you go. Sure. Wow. Okay. In any event. many years ago. Yesterday. Okay. In any event, continue. 
so Ant-Man more interesting than I thought he was yep. because he has themes to his superpowers that remind me of Spider-Man's, but they're done in a completely different way so that it's not a ripoff of Spider-Man much at all, at all, really. And then there's sort of another take on the mentor figure being like an alternate reality version of what Tony Stark would be like if he was a very different man. <laughs> right. A, a, a family man who was very dedicated to his wife early on. Well, who, and they even made allusion to that in the movie where he said, I, I've labored all my life to keep this out of the hands of somebody like Stark. You think I'm going to let him have it now? You know? I loved that. Yeah. It, it, it came late in the movie, but it made so much sense because they had established that he was a very careful guy. Mm-hmm. And we know Tony wasn't. We know that Tony's father wasn't either. He no. was sort of like the Walt Disney of te- the technology. <laughs> he even looked world. like Walt Disney in that first uh, Iron Man film where we saw that. And so with Hank Pym, you just got this guy who felt – I felt more like a scientist, like a real inventor of the age. Sure. Like someone you could actually expect to have dealings with you know, government espionage mm-hmm. and uh, trying to – bring some good to this world, but also a man who's very careful about what he brings into this world and realizes, Oh no, I've brought something into this world that maybe I shouldn't have. And that was really clever. I I think they pulled that off. Well, if anything, they dwelt a little bit too much on Hank Pym's character at the expense of other characters. No, 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 no. I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't think that they dwelt too much. I thought it was fine. I I liked it. I, I like him. And that was cool. And, and, it was very nice. Casting Michael Douglas in this role, stroke of genius. Like who, whoever thought of that was a, is, that was a great idea. Okay, so I like Michael Douglas, but why do you like Michael Douglas? Uh, I don't know that I've actually seen him in much. I'm sure I have because uh, I know who knew who he was. Wall Street, but um, I don't know. So I'm looking him up now. But my point is not that it was because it was Michael Douglas, but that he was fantastic in this role. That's the reason I'm saying it. It, it worked so very well. Okay. Um, so I am uh, – do, 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 do. I liked Paul Rudd, and he was also yeah. credited as part of the screenplay. I like. I thought Michael Douglas was a better casting choice than, than Paul Rudd, but Paul Rudd was fine. Well, yeah, but Paul, you know, Michael Douglas would be a better casting choice than like most casting choices. <laughs> yeah, I am sure I've seen Michael Douglas in something. It's not coming – I'm not immediately seeing anything on his list of movies that, that I have seen, but I know I've seen him in something. I'm sure I have. Because he he looked I, I I just know I have anyway. Okay, uh, so another observation I added about this film is that it doesn't dwell very lengthily on anything besides Pym's character, and that was pretty unique because the pacing is uh, constantly moving. You know, they, they don't dwell very long on anything. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, and that that is a little to the film's detriment. I think um, I, I feel like I I felt a little bit of tension in. Um, I I think maybe I was feeling. I like to think maybe I was feeling the tension in the director change. Um, where, you know, and the director had a different vision from Edgar Wright, who, who was involved in writing the script. And there was just some, some strange transitions and felt like some things felt rushed in the middle of the film. Um, some things felt they, they, like they weren't very cohesive. I think that was a little bit to the film's detriment. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. I forgot about the director change. Uh, yes. You want to go back and explain that a little bit? Didn't so, that happen around in the middle of of like principal photography? Or yeah, did they they in- were they had already started photography, I believe, when this happened, but it was very early enough so that they called that, that they can wholesale just say the director is Peyton Reed. Like the you know he uh, Edgar Wright does not get a directing credit. So what happened was we don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but we do know that Marvel hired Edgar Wright and Joe, uh, Joe Cornish. 
uh, to write um, the script, and then uh, Edgar Wright was to direct the film. And uh, for reasons unknown to us, they uh, fired Edgar Wright unceremoniously, just let him go, and hired Peyton Reed to direct the film. So that uh, actually that turned me off quite a bit. I was thinking I might even like I do I did I even want to see this film at this point is kind of what I was thinking. And I'm glad I did because it's a really good film, but it still turns me off. Like I, I want to know more of why that happened. I want there to be better reasons and Marvel's pretty tight-lipped about it. Uh and and Edgar Wright was obviously the way he tweeted about mm-hmm. it even though he was being tight-lipped, you could tell that he was upset about it and that it was not what he wanted. So there was definitely a creative parting of ways, I think, is what we what we had, uh, what we saw. Um, so it, it was a very frustrating thing that happened, in my opinion. So that that's yep. kind of the backstory there. How do you feel that this film stacks against the Thor films? I think that this one was better than Thor two for sure, and uh, I think I like him more than I like Thor's character as a as a whole, his I, entire see, mythology. I am not one that hates uh, Thor: The Dark World. Um, I think that this is on par with Thor the Dark World. I think it's better than Thor. I don't, I was not, a, like, Thor was fine, but it's not great. Um, where, where this film, I think, is easily on par with Thor the Dark World. Uh, I've heard a lot of people saying that this is Marvel's best movie this year, uh, because the other one is The Avengers Age of Ultron. And I, even though I have a lot of problems with Age of Ultron, and, uh, I, I don't know that I would say that this is better than Age of Ultron. I like them both. I think we're kind of comparing apples and oranges with yes. the two of them because. You have an ensemble cast in the Avengers. They're trying to carry and progress the story to new heights and depths that is different from the first Avengers film. You have different characters that have different needs. Yes. You also have a different vision from the director. And with those things combined, which you ended up with. Yeah, you really the, do get a different vision from the director, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And you end up with this. Oh, uh, am I missing something? What do you Vis- mean? Vision, the character vision in Never mind. Oh, never oh, sorry. mind. Sorry. Yeah, that 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 was not here nor there. I'm sorry. That's my second joke. I have one more before you go Hulk on me. <laughs> well, it, it, but as a whole, with this year's Avengers movie, it was like their their franchise's Empire Strikes Back, and whether or not you liked it kind of depends on whether or not you could help, but like a movie that ends like on with mixed feelings. Like Mm. it's very tragic what happens and you realize it's not always going to be a good work week for the superheroes. Sometimes they end the work and it's not very fulfilling. Whereas in this case, essentially your heroes all get exactly what they want. And in a very exciting way (laughs) that for the least, at least it was grossly entertaining. I, I found this film to just be, delightfully entertaining like going back to the pacing thing you would say that that was one of its weak points i would agree in the middle of the film mostly okay i can see I'm that i'm thinking of like some of the cuts where they're in the car where like, you get it kind of in, into a montage like well, i wasn't crazy about montages the, the montages felt weird and then there was a scene particularly where i think that the editing failed the most and where the pacing failed the most is you're in this scene in the car where uh paul rudd uh scott lang comes out to evangeline lily's character hope i'm pulling names out of my head here so he comes out to hope to talk her into staying and coming back in and then all of a sudden they cut to this really touching scene uh, between uh, father and daughter, and then Scott Lang interrupts it and says, I ruined the moment, didn't I? 
And like all the editing there and all the pacing there just felt so weird. And like they had almost brought me in to the emotionality of the story and then they ruined it by calling out that they ruined it. Like it was so weird. I think they were afraid of giving this movie weight and bearing because – Again, when people would leave the theater, if the, if what people were saying was, oh, dude, you have to see Ant-Man because it really moved me. It was really touching. It was, it was really thought-provoking in a way I didn't think you could do with a character about you know, you know ants. Right. If somebody were to say that on the street, I think everybody else would just laugh and say, ha, 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 you're crazy. I'm not watching that movie. Maybe. But because you stage it as – Oh, there's this movie called Ant-Man and actually it's kind of funny, man. There's jokes all throughout. It's always kidding itself. You know, it laughs at itself. There's some great one-liners and dude, the, the climax, the third act is hilarious. Right. You right. got to see this film. It seems like a strong sell and that's what I think that well, they accomplished. Yeah. And one of the things I actually wrote in my notes here is dramedy question mark. Um, and, and, and even though, look, I, I think that Joss Whedon tells as many jokes in the business as probably would happen in Ant-Man, but, but they, they had a different tenor. The, the jokes in the Avengers had a different tenor. Like you never questioned if the film was full on drama or not. And this film, I was like, is this film even a drama? Is it more of a dramedy kind of leaning towards comedy? Like I, I don't know. I, I, I could not quite place it in my mind. Like I have well-defined genres in my mind in this film. That so what is a dramedy well. to you? What, what, what is a, dr- a dramedy to you? And what is that? How is that a bad thing? I don't know that it's a bad thing. I'm just asking the question. Okay. I don't know. I, I don't know. But, but I liked do you, it. I, I don't say I didn't say I didn't like it, but, but you know mm. what I'm saying? Where the Avengers, even though it probably had the same amount of, of jokiness to it, it always felt full on drama. And this film did not always feel full on drama. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Well, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it was part heist movie as well. That they introduced all these comical characters on the side. You have the wombats. Yes, yes. And they're very out of place because they have no character development. They're incredibly 2D characters. They're there for jokes that are no different from, say, the stock of C-3PO Completely different kinds yeah. of characters, right? But they serve the same intention. Well, and like, we'll say three, C-3PO had, from the original three and not from the ones that don't exist, the, the, the <clears> prequels. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you got these wombats. You know, they're pretty funny guys. I mean, like, I understood that they tried to use them for plot development and character development yeah, for see, Scott I, maybe, Lang at the beginning. And that's where I'll say I felt like it was too far. It was too much. Like, I didn't – because I'm supposed to be buying into this film as a drama – it was just too much. Like these these guys, they they didn't work for me very well. I agree. And, and now there was one rather amazing scene at the beginning of this film and at the end. At the end, same. Are same you thinking scene. about the whole fight sequence at the end? Oh no, thinking? I was thinking of the lip lip syncing stuff. I lip thought that syncing. was pretty cool. Where lip he's syncing. telling the story, like Lewis is telling the story. Oh yes, yes. So so awesome. I, even though I hated them as characters and thought that they could have been a little bit, you know, more serious, I loved those scenes. <laughs> yeah, character weak, humor, you know, strong. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I wasn't even thinking about the the humor at the beginning of the film. What I was thinking about was the backstory for Doctor Pym when they mm. show him in the eighties. Yes, and he is meeting with leaders at Shield. 
And among them is Peggy Carter. Yes, yes. And they don't bother to introduce her. Nope. They don't bother to explain nope. who she is. Because look, it's, it's one of those things where if you don't know who she is, it doesn't matter to the story. But if you do, it's wonderful. And I love that. You, you let, you, you're not second guessing your audience. You're not trying to tell them, hey, see what we did there? Like it's, you're respecting your audience that way. I loved it. I thought it was great. I was sold. And Haley Atwell nails the character every time. We've I already determined that you have a crush on Haley Atwell. I though. do. I have a, a crush on <laughs> Haley Atwell and Peggy Carter at all ages, even on her deathbed. It's, she's amazing. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I thought, I keep thinking to myself, Marvel, what are you doing here? You're going to waste a good opportunity. Please make a, a, a Peggy Carter movie. I know you got the television show <sighs> thing going Joe. on. But okay, I'm sorry I mentioned more. your crush on Peggy Carter. Can we move on? Will you autograph my picture of Peggy Atwell or for me, DJ? I mean, if you're going to have a crush on somebody, wouldn't it rather? Okay, I won't go there. <laughs> Let's just the say there's Lily? somebody. She's there's bad. there's a, a a good a good looking woman in this film. Let's just leave it. Okay. At that. Well, while we're talking about her, <laughs> uh, let's jump around in my my notes here. I think Evangeline Lilly is a really talented actress. I've enjoyed Fantastic. her in several roles. I have nothing against her. She's not played in a role where I thought she did anything less than above average. But in this film, her character development sorely hinders everything for the leading really? lady. Really? I have to disagree with you so much. I loved her character in this film. Okay. I thought she was fantastic. I thought that her development was fantastic. I thought they set up well her coming Are back as Wasp in the next film. I felt the exact I wanted, opposite way. I wanted way more of her, but I thought what we got was great. I want so much more of her in the next film. What are you talking about? I I was completely sold on her character, and uh, even though I have some issues with um, with the character development, I think all told, like we've established that, like, what kind of a character she is, how, why she had issues with her father, and that now we've kind of worked through those, and the next film is going to be even more fantastic. I, like, so I, here's the thing: is I think that she was too old to have these problems with her father in the movie and yet work alongside really? of him. Are you, are you serious? Like, yes. okay. So, um, my, I mean, my father had some issues with, with his dad and, and I'm like, he's, you know, I'm, t- I'm thinking late thirties, early forties here. And they worked it out much later. Like when my dad was, uh, uh, you know, in his fifties, but like, so I'm not saying that Evangeline Lily is too old for that at all. Oh, uh, okay. So let, let's just take a step back here and describe the character. This is from my point of view, my, my vantage point, TJ. I want you to counter it uh, when you, you've done hearing my thoughts. Okay. I'm thinking that Hope is this smart woman who has a lot of money in the bank. She has a great career ahead of her. She doesn't need her father. But for whatever reason, she was convinced that the villain within the company was someone only her father could reckon with. So well, even though she had her problems right. with her father, she turned to him to help her within the company and outside of the company deal with the villain who is leading the company. Now, that was smart. That's not really the material of character development. So let's really break down how they portrayed the character in the movie. First of all, she's wearing a wig. Like she's got some kind of crazy black hair, jet black straight hairdo, very stylish. It's not at all like Evangeline Lily. And I know that this is not Evangeline Lily trying to portray Evangeline Lily, but that hair was too jarring because everybody else in this movie looked like they they were just the way they were presented. They were presented as here's the actor in his own skin. In his own clothes, in his natural attire, we're going to put on him what suits him with the exception of the super suit. 
Okay, so woman, I am reading something here just to just to cu- cu- uh, correct you. Evangeline Lilly, that is her hair. She has obviously darkened it, but she cut it that way. She's not wearing a wig. I'm that is amazing. This. Yes. I, it, I thought it totally looked fine. Tr- they totally fooled me. I thought that that was fake. No, I thought, fake. I, I, I thought it looked too good to be fake. That's why I was looking it up. Okay. Next then, I said, and I'll, you know, whether it's real or not, it still looked fake to me. So that, that was a downside. <sighs> Just because you're used to seeing Evangeline Lilly and other things uh, with longer hair. Why are we obsessing about this, Joe? So I want real, re- because real she's things a woman. here, real reasons. And to here. me, it felt like they were just characterizing the woman as superficial with this fun, funky hairdo. I, I don't know. <clears throat> okay, a couple other things here. She was very stiff. She didn't have much to say. She didn't have any of the best lines of dialogue. In the whole time, there was lots of interesting bits of dialogue in this entire movie. Good one-liners. But she didn't have anything great to contribute <clears throat> except to you know, train the hero in martial arts and to complain that her father was you know, just mean in the past and you know, a liar. In so what you're was. saying is you didn't want the drama of them having a bad relationship because her father was trying to be overprotective. I felt like it was the drama between the two of them was too, too weighty for them to have any sort of relationship in the movie and that meant that – the believability that they would actually be working together was very weak. I couldn't disagree with you more. Okay. And then, and then another thing was that her father kind of like mistreats her with this idea that, you know, I had to lie to you to protect you from the truth. You couldn't have handled it. Well, how old do you think your daughter is at this point? But, but, and why were well, you still lying to her after all these years? She has confided Let's talk you. again when, you're, when your kids are older. Like you all, I, my understanding. She's not a kid. I know. She's but, very much an adult. I know, but you're under, my understanding is that you have a hard time making that transition as a parent. And I can so see that. Like you're still going to want to protect your kids, even though you shouldn't be. I'm not saying he should be, but this feels real. Like he wanted to protect his daughter from this thing. Like he lost his wife. He did not want to lose his daughter. He was doing everything in his power to protect her. It was was wrong it was stupid but that's no, what he's he was not doing. doing everything in his power to protect her because he still lets her work within the company she is an adult he can't stop her from doing that i, I, I felt <laughs> well, very it felt very real become, to me in terms of their relationship i thought i felt like he was waffling it felt like mood swings at times how he would let her do one thing I but he would not I let her could do another not disagree more mm. and, okay uh, uh, when's the last time we disagreed like this uh it's been a while it's been a long time yeah, complete opposites. Another thing that relates to this conflict concerning Hope isn't uh, directly about her but tangentially relates to her is that they explored the relationship between Dr. Hank and his wife and and it was very important to the plot. Mm-hmm. And I really liked what they did in general with that relationship. It was kind of interesting that they introduced the idea of a superhero and an, and a superheroine working side by side that were married, Aunt Man and Aunt Woman. But then they did something here that I felt was a huge contrivance where they explained how the mechanics of the science works in this sci-fi. And under these terms, if something was done to the supersuit, the ant person would keep shrinking in the super suit infinitely down into a speck. Subatomic. Subatomic, yeah. But they explained that that was a horribly bad thing. It happens very rapidly and it's irreversible so that while it's happening, you're constantly shrinking and there's really not much you could do about it. They then, though, 
allow for the character of Pym's wife to use this subatomic level thing to basically save the day yes in the in a particular scenario where she goes subatomic to save the day in a way that doesn't make any sense because she's actually shrinking so that she could get inside of a missile to deactivate the missile but she is literally going down to the subatomic level really fast like within seconds less than 10 seconds Yet somehow, even though she's already the size of an ant and she is shrinking rapidly, she's still able to get inside of the missile and deactivate it but not save herself. Joe, you do remember we're talking about science fantasy here, science fiction. It was a super cheat. It was just – it was bothersome to me because – it broke from their own mechanics of how this whole superhero suit and subatomic level stuff worked that they Science wanted fiction. to apply to Fantasy. the men that wear this, the Ant-Man suit. But the rules that apply to Mrs. Pym were not the same. But the rules applied the same. I, I couldn't tell any difference between the rules that applied to uh, the Ant-Man that, that applied to Mrs. Pym. I, didn't understand, I don't understand what you're saying. Okay, so think about it. You're infinitely shrinking. You're already the size of an ant. You're infinitely shrinking, so you're able to jump inside of a missile through the crack of a seal that you could not fit into if you were the size of an ant, but you could fit into if you were the size of like, you know, half an atom. But then what? How do you deactivate the missile by the time you've gotten through the crack? You don't have enough time because you're still infinitely shrinking into subatomic. Science fiction, science fantasy. Okay. Sure, but you obviously like sci-fi and give it too much leeway. I mean, we know this from the movies and television you love. I I just – I felt like that was such a huge cheat that they were expecting me to just accept a huge leap there. And Yes, because a shrinking man in general is not a huge leap. But it it, it inherently weakened the conflict between Dr. Pym and his daughter Mm. because – when they reveal what happened to the wife and that was the explanation and so they're able to sort out some of their differences, I was like, no, you cannot resolve your differences because that was a very lame explanation for the conflict in the first place. Like that doesn't resolve anything because you still don't know how your mother was able to deactivate the missile. So how do you know that she actually saved the day? It seems like that was just – she gets inside of there what and maybe you, as a what? byproduct, something I, I, else causes the missile to, deact- to deactivate. It was like – it, that makes that no sense, though, we, we know that she did. Like that's the, that's the part because of Because the they said so. Because they just said so. So, so you mean to tell me that she went all subatomic and the missile would have self-destructed anyway? Absolutely. But by what story logic are you coming to that conclusion? I don't understand what you're saying. Okay, you jerry-rigged the suit so that you're the size of the ant and now you are shrinking rapidly tj to the subatomic level you are but you've made invisible up the shrinking, you, in you, you less made, than two seconds but you but see you've made up different rules than the movie has given us the movie says that the rules are that they have enough time as they're shrinking to do this thing but you're saying no arbitrarily you're saying i don't I, think that they convinced me that they have enough time to do this but, thing. but but by what but the story says that they do they've established these rules but you're saying no these are the rules that i say you should be playing by i don't understand like i don't understand why you're you, you they're already making up rules why don't they get to make this rule you're saying no arbitrarily here's my cutoff point for this rule i don't understand that i don't understand why you're saying that mm. <laughs> i think it just has to do with how 
my brain works, TJ, and how I, I saw the facts differently, present, presented differently. And to me, it doesn't make any sense that while you are shriveling down so, so much over the span of just mere seconds, like in less than two seconds, you're smaller than a pinprick, that you have enough time to deactivate a fast-moving, high-powered, highly complicated machine. And she does that within seconds without fail on the subatomic level, going through like a sickness while going through the, into the subatomic level. And where level, did the sickness the come that from? We, where did the sickness come from? We saw Ant-Man go through it. We saw Scott he didn't get go sick. through it at the end of the movie. He did not get he, sick. When did he get sick? Yeah, he, he got like nauseous and passed out while he was shrinking down to the subatomic level at the end of the film. I don't think so. We did. We saw him like, yeah, unable to control it, unable to deal with it, and for a moment, like, lose his consciousness. So I, I never saw him lose consciousness. He was unable to control it, like the movie said that he would be. He, he was unable to return to full size. And then, you know, obviously, because as he's getting smaller, he's having a hard time. He like he has nothing, no way to like he's floating in 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 nothingness, and he's trying to get a hold of the thing that he can use to get bigger again. Like, I, but I never saw him lose consciousness, and I never saw him get sick. I don't understand why you're also inserting that into the story. I, that's the way I just saw the film, and that's how I interpreted the events. It just we that's how it to came to move me. Move on to a less frustrating topic because okay, I don't la- understand why you're hope. arbitrarily deciding that the movie cannot set the rules for what's going on here. Yeah. I think you're arbitrarily assuming that you're going to give the film this one. I don't think I'm not that giving the film anything. I'm saying I feel like the film played by the rules that it established for itself. Mm. Very weak rules. Okay, my last point concerning hope. Then please, we can change the subject. I, I I thought that the moment that Scott, the hero, and the girl kiss was ineffective. Like I was un- inconvinced of the sincerity. Well, again, this is where I go back to the whole dramedy thing. Like that was that was not part of the drama. That was part of the comedy. Yes, and it just felt out of place. That I mean, like most of the comedy works, most of the drama works, even if it is rushed. But then in this case, it it was at a a, a important moment in the happily ever after of the film. And it just seemed forced thrown in there. Like it'll give us a few more one liners so that we can end on a, a high note where we're saying that Scott has a ongoing relationship with the Pims, but it, it, I didn't like it. It just, it felt like it came out of left field. Here's, like here's I know what I'll that they're you. supposed to end up together because they're leading lady and leading man, but no, no, that here, just didn't feel right. Here's what I'll give you. I thought they had a lot of chemistry together and I always thought that the film was heading here. Um, but I don't like that they made it a joke. Um, I think that they should have played it straight. I think that it should have, um, it, it should have actually been a thing like, and not just, Oh, we were kissing and, uh, you know, she was totally coming on to me and, you know, you know, you're full of, you know, garbage. Uh, and I, I think they should have, uh, played it correctly, you, you know, not as a joke. And I think that I would have liked it far better. I, I will give you exactly that. It, it did not play well as they did it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Good, good. We can agree on one of my points. Okay. You wanna, <laughs> so tell me about something else that you liked. Uh, well, I, I don't think – I thought we were talking about dislikes. Uh, and then well, likes. I thought we would jump around because I actually was like moving all over the movie you know, addressing my concerns with okay, so the leading lady. To me, it is completely unclear why Hank Pym chose Scott Lang and why he would choose a con man. Like what, what attributes did this man have that, that Hank Pym was looking for that was never clearly explained? And it didn't make any sense that he would choose a con man to do this stuff. 
And that goes along with another complaint I have about this film, and that is that the... the wait, 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 wait. I, I said talk about one of your likes. I, I said I was going to talk about one of my dislikes. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> so that goes along with one of the other things that I didn't, that I was concerned about with this film, and that is that the bad guys tend to be somewhat glorified, and the good guys are somewhat stupefied. Um, and, and by bad guys, I don't mean the heroes of our film. I mean, in you know, in general, these uh, con men, uh, they're the ones that are glorified into this position of heroism. And the good guys, the policemen, they're played up for the yucks. They're played up for laughs. Um, you know, and they're do you know, there's a and there's a tank, you know, and, and all this this crazy s- stuff, and they're just acting stupid. So I'm unclear why Hank Pym chose a con man, and I'm unclear what the film is trying to tell me about the world and the good guys versus the bad guys. Do you do you agree? Do you understand what I'm saying? I I do agree. Though uh, related to this, tangentially, uh, a sub point to this is that they spent very little time really developing a strong leading male character for Ant Man. Uh, 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 sorry, Scott Lang. I agree. I, I felt like his character was underdeveloped. Yeah, like you know, they they demonstrated what his motivations were, and that he clearly had to do something to become financially stable and support his daughter. And so he, because he loved her, he was moved to do anything he could to support his daughter. At, at this point, they made it clear he'd be willing to go back to prison if he thought that he could get paid to go to prison so that he could be a part of his daughter's life. Like that was very well done, very, very sweet. But also, you didn't really feel like you got to know Scott Lang. Like the, he's just kind of a shallow personality. Exactly. Uh, you don't have it. He doesn't have a vision for the future. You'd only, you only get like a small smidge of what is his motivations. Like here in the here and now, he just wants to spend time with his daughter. Okay. Well, what else makes up Scott Lang though? Like, yes. What, what else makes you up as a human being? I agree. Is that your only purpose? Is that your only reason for living? And apparently it is the way that he was portrayed. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And going the on- one exception to this was that they, they said that he was an electrical engineer. By trade, and there was this one clever point where he is writing down in his notepad uh, paper, and he says, "Oh, it's going to be uh, three hundred and six. Uh, sorry, three hundred and eleven days till I can see my my daughter after he you know gets financially stable." And that was really sweet. Like they they tied in his his math genius to the idea of his you know his practical circumstances that his one goal was to spend time with his daughter. So he was using you know practical skills that he knew from the tricks of his trade. Right. But that that was still. Like the only glimpse of anything that made up him as a character besides the fact that he was fairly good at being a cat burglar. But that was just skill. Like again, that's that doesn't make up a man, his skills. Like if you want to reduce Bruce Wayne down to a guy who's able to drive right. a really big vehicle that shoots rockets, then – and that's the Batmobile that I'm referring to, TJ. Yes. I, I know you don't know what that no, is. No, I know what it is. Then that's not really who Bruce Wayne is. But that's sort of how it felt they treated Scott Lang. I, I, I agree. And going right along with that, I didn't buy any of the uh, sequences, referring back to the montage sequences that we've already talked about having a problem with. I didn't buy any of that training stuff. Like, how, how, how you, you mean to tell me we go through a montage of training and all of a sudden he can face up to an Avenger? No. No, I'm not buying it. See, no. I loved that. Oh, fight. I loved it. I, I loved the Avenger thing, but I didn't buy the way they got him to be able to, to the point where he could do that. 
Well, they did a lot of it off camera. You know, they they should they leave the camera outdoors. They go indoors behind closed doors. You know that something is going on in there. You just don't know what it is. Yeah. And then they bring the fight back outside. And at that point, Ant Man has the advantage in the fight. Yeah, I, <laughs> that I, was pretty funny. I didn't buy it. It was sort of like a fight happening off camera in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. Like you have no earthly <laughs> idea what's going to happen and you're waiting for the punchline and it is the most unexpected reality has happened. It, it turned out to be, you know, upside down. Yeah. Um, I thought the CG of the uh, ants, anything involving the ants was pretty terrible. Now, I wouldn't have called it terrible, but I do agree that the way they animated their heads to terrible. like have uh, portray emotion and reaction was like, Oh, he just did something this alike. Is, I'm going to act like a puppy dog now. This like, like two, that was done. Honestly, this looked like 2002 CGI to me, not 2015. I do not know what happened, especially when we get to my likes, when we talk about the de-aging of Michael Douglas, like that fantastic CGI, and then all of a sudden we go to this ant stuff, and all of it is bad. Terrible. I didn't think it was all bad. I, I really genuinely enjoyed a lot to do with the ants. I just didn't like, again, their I, like reactions, the way that the anima- animators portrayed their bobbling heads and their antennas. Like, yes. you know how in like a comic strip, if uh, you want to indicate that a character has a brilliant idea and it just occurred to him, you have some like lines shooting out of his head and maybe an exclamation point pop up yes. over his head. In this case, you just have the ants like perk up their antennas like – oh, I have somebody using my mind, controlling my mind. I think I shall go and find a sugar cube and well, put it into the hot tea. Yeah, I agree. And that's part of what makes it so bad. I mean, but part of it is that just none of it felt like it was real. I didn't feel like... But think about how often a movie is trying to animate... An- an- uh, did I say animate? Yeah. I was going to I was gonna say, did I say animate? <laughs> anyway, um, animate, that's good. How, how often does a movie try to animate an ant at all like there isn't all that much in the way of like reference and there these are just shots in the dark like you look at the behavior of ants in general about like just the texture like nothing about it felt good it just did not feel good it it felt Mm. pretty rough it felt like like they needed more time in rendering (laughs) i don't know i think it would definitely convince children I, sure. I don't think that they needed to convince the adults that these were realistic ants, and we would never be convinced that these were ants doing these things in this movie. So don't even try. Don't even go don't there. E- we'll just make them look like cartoons. I don't know. I guess. It's an impossibility because they're ants, TJ. It's, like, we know better. Nothing sure. that they could do could, could convince us that these were real ants. But I'm just could saying, they? like, I feel like uh, it, it just didn't feel like it was on par with what we would expect from a Marvel film in 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've been seeing a lot of your dislikes. Uh, I mean, like I, I picked on my, my biggest dislike, but I want to hear some of your likes. You don't want to get my dislikes out of the way so we can end on a positive. No, 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 no. I want to hop around. I don't want to leave everybody like, uh, wondering like, oh, well, I guess this movie sucks and I'm not going to go see. So I already mentioned, uh, that the Michael Douglas de-aging fantastic CGI. Um, I, I thought they did a wonderful job with that. Of course he wasn't on camera. That was for just a, a beautiful small scene at the beginning. Yes, yes. it was great um and the you know so so that that we already talked about that so what i'll say instead is that um the bathtub sequence uh when we first see him shrink uh when we first see paul rudd shrink to ant-man uh and he doesn't know what the heck is going on like that entire sequence is fantastic um yes it's so well done and it gives you such a sense of what's going on a sense of the the fear and the what the heck has just happened and oh my gosh i'm tiny and just everything about that that entire sequence is so wonderful 
It kind of reminded me of the way they, uh, as a reference, we're always referencing Pixar films, TJ. We got to quit this. But uh, in Ratatouille, remember at the beginning of the movie, the rats were all in the country and they were living inside of an old lady's house. Mm-hmm. And then the lady starts shooting at them and they all flee from the scene, <laughs> yes, yes. end up in the sewer. They're yes. flushing down the sewer. They wind up in the big city. They're separated. Then uh, the, the rat ends up, you know, wandering the streets. He ends up wandering the inside of an attic. He sees different events unfolding in various apartments. And then he turns out in a restaurant. He has to fend for his life. He's almost kicked. He's almost punched. He's almost squashed. He's almost cooked. And then he finally, you know, he survives and then he's able to settle down into something he really likes because he's found a restaurant that he would really like to stay at. And and that's what that felt like in this scene with Ant-Man for the first time, getting on the super suit, fighting himself in completely bizarre scenarios, one after the next, hilarious, good laughs. And it was just one thing, boom, boom, boom after the next. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Ant-Man and that scene that introduced really how his suit worked and what it looked like in action. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just as good looking as anything for the Rocketeer. How did you like the suit? Uh, it was fine. It was a suit. Oh, really? See, I, I was hoping you'd have more reaction than that. Like I'm kind of tired of interpretations of Batman's suit. They, <laughs> they can't do anything with Superman's suit to make it look interesting anymore. Uh, Captain America's was okay. Uh, Iron Man, he, dude, he has the best suit of all. Of course. We're never going deba- to debate whether or not, uh, you know, Tony Stark's suit is awesome or not, but this is the closest thing to it. Like it not, it's not cool. Like Iron Man's suit is cool, but this was a solid suit, man. Uh, they just did a great job of demonstrating how the, the suit seemed to be like really invented by a scientist, like engineered by a scientist. How would he want this to be very practical? Oh, put some controls right here on his gloves, you know, where one does this on the right and one does this on the left and you cannot mix them up because they're in completely different hands. And then the, there were just other practicalities that the suit was very uh, form fitting, but also flexible, but it didn't have like a built in muscle you know, is showing off a six pack and, you know, big chest muscles and a, you know, it didn't have body armor attached to it like Batman or perhaps Captain America has. It it was just, it looked like something a scientist would make. And the one thing that he would want to protect is his head because the head, the helmet is all made of metal and it covers it. It's completely encased so that it would be waterproof and life proof, you know, given any circumstance. The one downfall of the entire suit was that the eyes were tinted red, which I think would be hugely impractical for his vision. But at the same time, what was kind of cool was that you could see his eyes through the lenses. Unlike you could, unlike a uh, Iron Man or Darth Vader's helmets where, you know, th- their, their lenses are like, you know, solid. You cannot see their eyes. So you, you lose out on a lot of their emotions, but you can see at man's eyes. Uh, and again, that's another problem I have with Spider-Man. Like in the comic books, they always cheat by giving Spider-Man emotions and expression through his eyes, even when it would it'd be completely impossible. Mm-hmm. And that's really fun. And, and, and uh, just for the entertainment value of a comic book, it's really cool. But for the sake of a movie, you cannot do that for Spider-Man. You're just going to look at those big bug white eyes and they are always going to be expressionless. They're just going to be interesting, but not expressionful. So, Well, you're really obsessing about this suit thing. I I am a designer, my friend. (laughs) Yes. Is this news to you? No. Okay, good. Uh, Moving on. So, yes, fantastic suit. This was one of the highlights of the movie for me. I was convinced of how – 
this suit just made sense in a ridiculous, sensational fashion. With or without ants, I thought, this guy, he's got some superpowers just from the mere functionality of the suit. And it was interesting that they, one of the laws of physics that they explained for the sci-fi, I do agree with and I do appreciate in this film, was how every little nook and cranny of the suit had to be completely enclosed to properly shrink the human being inside without fail or the possibility of like, you know, turning them into a squashed puddle of goo. That, that was pretty uh, well played. I thought the squashed puddle of goo thing was more about the problems that, uh, Corey Stoll's, uh, Darren, whatever his name was cross. I thought that was more about the problems that he was having. I, I didn't think that I thought the suit was just the suit. Now they did but talk about the, the, way- the, the, the headgear being needed to make sure, which that brings me to a thing that I didn't like. Like they talked about this whole thing where you have to have the helmet or it'll make, it'll change, alter the chemistry of your mind and make you crazy. I didn't need that. Like I didn't need that explanation for why Darren Cross was uh, being an idiot. Um, uh, cause it didn't, I, he just, it, it didn't really work. Like he was an idiot before he ever shrinked himself. Like I, I didn't feel like that even worked anyway. Okay. I think it's high time we talk about the villain. Go ahead and describe what Darren Cross was up to. So first of all, I want to say that, that this has the, this film has the Marvel villain problem. Um, with, with uh, Loki being the exception, uh, there are not very many good villains in the Marvel films. And this is uh, yet another film where we get a villain who he comes in, he's two dimensional. He's just evil. And he, cause, because he is, and he comes in, he has this scheme and he's going to be evil and he's going to kill people and he's going to be the wasp or the, I'm sorry, the yellow jacket. And, and, and it's all, and you got to stop him. And that's, you know, there is no characterization of the villain. That, that's the problem here. So this guy, he, you know, he didn't like the fact that um hank pym decided not to share his technology with everybody and he even though hank pym even denied having the technology he suspected it and it made him bitter and so he went and developed his own technology and he turned a lot of people into blubbering blobs of goo because he didn't perfect the technology and he killed a poor little defenseless sheep and oh my goodness that just broke evangeline lily's heart and blah 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 <laughs> and uh so um, that the, they have to stop him from killing all the sheep, Joe. That's what they have. That's what they have to do. That's the, that's what this villain is up to is killing all the little baby lambs. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what he's up to. And so they stop him. See, I, I completely agree with everything you just said, but at the same time, I've grown so accustomed to the idea that Marvel villains are going to be a disappointment that I don't even care to see whether or not they stand up to the test of scrutiny because I, I just expect them to fail me. But see, at this Joe, point, like, like my I'm, children, I'm thinking, if my children are failing me, I don't go, oh, children, I just, I've learned not to expect anything from you. I'm going to encourage them to do better. And so I keep thinking that that Marvel will turn this villain problem around, that they'll recognize they have an issue, they'll get counseling, they'll go see a therapist, and they'll figure this villain thing out. But they keep not, they keep not acknowledging that there's a problem here. And, and look, know, I, I there... really liked Corey Stoll in this role. He was fantastic. He just wasn't given anything to do with it, and he didn't have a good character. He didn't have a good script for him. It was frustrating. It was so frustrating. I agree. And I was actually expecting it to be worse. When I saw the trailers, I was so disappointed by how they introduced Yellow Jacket. And I, I just, I hated everything about the notion that the villain basically has the exact same set of powers as the hero. And whenever they've done this with other superheroes on, you know, DC comics universe and Marvel's before, and it would just be like, 
the failing of the first Iron Man movie that the villain ultimately carries the weight of having the same powers that Tony Stark has with his Iron Man suit, only his suit is bigger and it has more missiles. Therefore, yeah. it should be a real challenge for Tony. <laughs> right. Well, what happens when the government like rains hellfire and you know brimstone and tanks down on them and wipes them out and shuts down Tony Stark's operation and ends their business franchise and takes all of their suits away from them? Like that villain didn't really add up because in no time at all, one way or the other, he was going to his his villainy was going to be put to an end, and it, you knew that when, as soon as they revealed what his dastardly plan was. Oh, ha ha ha! I'm going to take over Tony's company, and I'm going to snatch up all of his suits, and nobody can stop me. And if they try to stop me, I'm going to wear the suit and tell them what for. Like that was that was a horrible idea. Yep. And this film explored the same scenario. Thankfully, though, in spite of the problems with this villain, they did a tremendous job with the third act, with the climax, with the showdown, and the whole movie was leading up to that showdown. Whereas, you know, Tony had his yes, problems yes, but, in but, the but, first Iron Man. But poor Thomas the Tank Engine. I love what they did to <laughs> know, Thomas the Tank Engine. That's great. Just so you know, uh, people, if you haven't seen the movie yet, don't worry about Thomas. He's okay. No, no, no trains were hurt in the making of this film. <laughs> But they, they did such a beautiful job where they were setting it up to be this heist movie throughout the movie. You just knew that that was, but that was a, sort of a ruse, though. What it was really going to get down to was some action between Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. And I kept on thinking, you know, that's where this movie can go off the rails is when it gets to that point. Is it going to be just as lame as what they did with the first Iron Man film fight? And I was honestly impressed so many laughs tj did you hear the laughs in your theater there weren't that many people in my theater i went and saw it uh monday night last night uh so um but yeah there was a there was definitely some laughs okay so, so we're talking about the final scene why don't we go ahead and break down some of our favorite my favorite things about the final scene Do you, uh, please tell me some things that you thought about that final scene i want to know the, the showdown what did you think about it um, I thought like everything from the moment long. they were trying to commit the heist till they resolved everything and he is returned from the subatomic level. Yeah, I, I thought it would. I thought it went on a little too long. I thought it could have been tightened up a little bit. But I agree, there is a lot of good stuff in there. I don't know if I can put my finger on anything. Specific. But see, that's the thing. Even something long, if it's done really well, then you don't mind if it went long. Like the climax in the first Toy Story movie, it, it went long, but it was so great that you love every moment of it. Yeah, yeah. I've never felt like the climax of the first Toy Story movie was long, though. Okay. Well, okay, so first of all, early on in the final showdown, they did something really funny with Siri, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but I just want to say our theater erupted with laughter when they had Siri activated yeah. and do something in the movie. I did love that Siri. That was pretty funny. Um, I, I did feel like it wasn't well as well integrated. As I, I thought they were going to do something really cool with the music and some sort of choreography, but they never really went there. But I did love that joke. And then right after that joke, there was another joke where they have Yellow Jacket shocked by like a bug pest light. <laughs> yes. And that gag just nailed it. It nailed it, TJ. I loved it. If that was like in a 
a comedic YouTube action flick, like a video you'd see from some like, uh, you know, guys, just some, you know, standard celebrity YouTubers, like what they would do if they were riffing off of the Ant-Man movie. It was the kind of thing I'd expect them to do. I wouldn't expect them to do that in a real, you know, motion picture, but it was so hilarious that I wonder has, has Marvel been holding on to that gem for years? Was that something that they did long ago in an Ant-Man comic and they've wanted to introduce to the <laughs> world but they just didn't have the occasion because they weren't making movies until now and they finally got to use it because it was just a stroke of genius maybe so yeah i mean it was fine i I, it was funny and then there was Tomic the Tank Engine. One of the cool things, interesting things that they do with Ant-Man's super abilities is that he has these little gadgets that if he throws them onto something, he can make that thing shrink or enlarge. And he inadvertently, one of these uh, lands on a Thomas the Tank Engine toy, which immediately grows to the life-size version of a real locomotive train. Or bigger, smashes even. right out of the window and collapses uh, uh, through the house into the into the the yard. Yes, and its eyes are looking back and forth and back and forth. But my favorite part was the enlarging of the ant. Oh, wow! <laughs> he becomes a pet later in the film. <laughs> And another little funny detail about this showdown was that the Yellow Jackets, like laser blasters or whatever you want to call them, did you notice that they were the exact same, had the exact same sound effect as AT Walkers in Star Wars yes. with their laser blasters? Yes, I was going to ask you the that, same question. I liked that. I thought that was funny. Like it was almost a joke because, you know, again, Ant Man is owned by Disney now. Yes, they can. And do whenever this. they threw that kind of thing in, I know that they're doing it like. Uh, you know, with, with full awareness of what they're doing, like they don't, you know, just go using a sound effect straight out of Star Wars flippantly. And another thing that they did was they had, um, I, I don't want to go there. That's a sidetrack. Uh, okay. So I, I was also, I also had in my notes that the giant ants is just, he's just the greatest. It was like old school. Uh, Hollywood humor from a <laughs> something, uh, you know, like not, I don't want to say spitball comedy, but I'm thinking something like bringing a baby with Cap- Catherine Hepburn and uh, what's his name? Uh, Cary Grant with <laughs> in, in that movie, they're trying to find a leopard and bring him back into captivity because he's, he's like a pet and they keep on getting the leopard mixed up with a wild leopard that escaped from the zoo mm. and so there's all kinds of comedy that ensues while they they have the wild leopard not the tame leopard and that whole movie is a brilliant comedy it was actually the inspiration for the character of clark kent in christopher e films but that film had all kinds of humor that um this movie invoked when they got to the scene with things like the giant ant i, I just thought that that they clarified with that if nothing else that this was ultimately supposed to be a comedy and that is something we haven't seen with the uh, the marvel movies just yet that uh, there was a movie that was intentionally hook line and sinker we're going to make this a comedy if nothing else people will love it for the laughs yeah, you know where i thought that they had the comedy most in balance though um where it was still felt like a good drama it felt like they were working towards something was the house break-in sequence toward the beginning of the film or before he discovers uh the Ant-Man technology before Scott Lang does, uh, where he broke into Hank Pym's house and stole the Ant-Man technology. I thought that entire sequence worked really well. There was some humor in it and there was some fun stuff, but I felt like it was much more imbalanced than most of the rest of the film. Um, and I wish that more of the film had been like that, but it also served to show that Scott Lang had skills before he came on 
like they didn't just have to train him from the ground up. Like he had skills uh, to be who he was. So I, I thought that 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 scene was fantastic. I love the way he broke into the safe and that it all just kind of worked out the way you know he he obviously knew exactly what he was doing. I, I, I loved all that. You know, uh, that, yeah, that was that was really clever, and that was one of the few things in the early part that did Scott justice. Yes, I agree. I agree. Did you like? And this actually was a good segment of the film where they had a lot of one-liners, like they they pointed out that the the door of the the vault was made from the same steel as that of the Titanic. <laughs> that yes, me yes. Up. And there were all all these one-liners throughout the whole movie. Multiple shots fired, and there's a tank. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that Baskin Robbins always finds out. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> there, there were so many dumb, but still just perfectly timed one-liners by so many different characters throughout this film. Uh, first thing, call the Avengers. <laughs> and, I, uh, I did love the way they explained this. Like, uh, dude, you should call the Avengers. No, I've kept my entire life, spent my entire <laughs> life keeping my technology out of those hands. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that worked well to kind of show why. But but then they went on to involve an Avenger anyway. I, yes. I did love the universe tie-ins in this film. I thought they were very well done and very tastefully done, and it wasn't like in your face, and it completely explained. Like some of these films, you do have to figure out, like, like okay, so Captain America, the Winter Soldier, he didn't know who he could trust, and that's why he didn't call the rest of the Avengers. That makes kind of, sort of makes sense, you know, And the, but then like in, in Thor, where were the rest of the Avengers? Like, you know, in Iron Man 3, where were the Avengers? Like, you know, you gotta you got to try to figure out how to make it more natural, and I thought this film did it very well. Speaking of the Avengers, uh, what was his name? Uh, the Falcon. His great one-liner was, it's really important to me that Kevin yes, never find out about yes. this. <laughs> that never. was great. I, okay, TJ, in the history of all my reviews, I have never used in my notes, I have never written down so many one-liners from a single film mm. on the viewing in theater. I have about I have about 15 here. Nice. And I know I didn't catch them all. That, that that was just one thing that this film excels at. If nothing else, there's so many great quotable lines. So you'd say I, it's, I it's it on tops, par with the Joss Whedon one-liners. I was going to say that it, it tops Guardians of the Galaxy. Really? Which I think, yes. Which I think I – mean, I'm not saying that the film is on par with Guardians of the Galaxy. Just that – again, I think they're kind of like apples and oranges. You can't really put them in the exact same basket and try to compare them and weigh them. But their, their one-liners excel in this movie. Yes. Um, I, I continue though. Okay, I'm sorry, so, I, I, I distracted you. No, not really, because I was going to move on to my next thing. Uh, I did like the universe tie-ins, but I, I thought that the the last scene, and I, I wrote this down, so maybe I'm thinking of the wrong thing now. I think I think maybe we already covered that. Um, that I think that when I say last scene, I'm I'm talking about the kiss. I think it was that's what I'm talking about when I say weird and awkward. Um, there there was the the tie-in where uh, basically. Uh, so and so told so and so and told my brother and my sister in law and da 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 and the falcon the falcon's looking for you uh, like yes. I, I that was pretty good so so that's more universe tie in stuff I, I I do want to talk about I want to tie together a whole bunch of things I don't know if you're ready to do this or not go um, for it let's make this a speed round I have two things too but I I want to cover your thoughts well too. it's not, I don't know if I'm, I'm tying together a couple of things um so first okay. of all. Um, Hope was way more qualified to be in the Ant Man suit than Ant Man than 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 uh, than, Jay, than than Scott Lang. 
Uh, so I really wanted to see her in one of those suits, and we didn't get that. But we did get the end credit sequence that basically showed, yeah, she's totally going to be in a suit, and she's going to be the Wasp in the next film, so keep your shirt on. Um, so I loved that, but I hated that we didn't get to see her in that in this film. So I will give you that, like, they didn't fully utilize her character. As we talked about earlier, as much as I loved what they did, I want more of her. I definitely want a Wasp standalone movie, and we're never going to get that. So that's yeah. frustrating. Um you know, it, it, the end credit sequence, while it was cool and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm happy that we're going to be getting more of Evangeline Lilly in the next film, and, and, and rightly so, uh, but he spent the whole movie keeping her out of the suit, and now he's just going to put her in it. Like, it, it felt like too quick of a turnaround. I know they demonstrated why and everything, but it still felt too quick of a turnaround. Um, mm. And then my other note that I have in re- reference to Evangeline Lilly is she has gotten way better as an actress since the season one of Lost. Um, I found her to be a snoozer in season one of Lost. I never watched past season one. Uh, I don't know if she got better. I think you've watched more Lost than I have. Did you watch it all? You may know. Yeah, I, I felt like I felt like times. Evangeline Lilly was not good in season one of Lost. And uh, I think either you're going to be one of her fans or you're very much opposed to her. Well, but I thought that she was an entirely different person. Like I can tell she was the same person because she looked the same, but like, I felt like she was an entirely different person in this Mm. film. Like she felt so lethargic and out of it in season one of lost. And in this film, she's very present. She's very, um, uh, connected. You connect with her as the audience. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to more of that. I, I, that, I connected more uh, with Evangeline Lilly and, for that matter, with Michael Douglas than I did with, with uh, Paul Rudd as, as Scott Lang. And I know that's not a popular opinion. Most people are saying, oh, Scott Lang was great as Ant-Man. Eh, he was fine. He, uh, he wasn't bad. He did, he did nothing to detract from the character. Sure, yeah. And I really like Paul Rudd as an actor. I actually just ran into him uh, on a couple other things I was watching this past week, and it, I wasn't timing this to try and like watch a bunch of Paul Rudd things, but – yeah, he's he's been a good character actor, which is something that we don't have many of these days. It, it, when he needs to, he uh, he conforms to the needs of the character. He can become like uh, at times the way he'll approach a scene. He is truly simply a two dimensional cat burglar. But then in the next moment, he's the endearing father. That that's really clever of him. He's able to pull that off. And then at the next moment, he's truly just going to be the all out superhero and the way that they did that was well staged. Even if they didn't do much with the character of Scott Lang, they did well to develop the, his involvement throughout the plot. Mm. So, so I, I see those as two different things. So we have to talk about what's coming in the Marvel universe. If you're ready to do that, I I have one other side topic concerning the ants. Do you want to get to yours or mine first? Go ahead. Okay. So here was the thought. This is something that they haven't been able to explore much in film at all. So this is kind of out there. But think about it. They're doing something really novel. And I don't know if this is explored in the comic books. And maybe it's because I'm just weird and I'm thinking too hard about it. But this guy is controlling the minds of ants. Yeah. Yet he is a human being filled with a lot more intelligence and human emotion than the ants are able to carry. So you have to have a, take a flying leap to accept this idea. And I appreciated that throughout the film that they ease you into this very gradually. They allude to it, but they don't tell you it's true. Then later on, they validate that it's true, but they don't show you how it's done. Then later, they just incidentally let you see it in passing, but they don't explain how it's done. Then next, 
they have a lesson where Scott Lang is told how to do it and he's not able to achieve it. Later on, after a montage sequence that demonstrate after lots of trial and error, he little by little is able to do it and then he makes a huge breakthrough when he's pretty much able to communicate with them as much as he wants. And then after that, he makes a very close bond to one of the ants. And because you're on that journey, even though it's very ridiculous, you're suckered into it. Yeah. How did you feel about it? I felt like, uh, even though, again, I'll go for the science fantasy definition and say, you know, it's fine, but I felt like they could have done it better. I felt like his connection to that one ant was uh, not very well fleshed out, um, and it would have been nice to have a little more of that. Um, and, and in general, I felt like it was very poorly explained how the, they, like, they just control ants and you just, they just do. That's just the way it is. And he learned how to yeah. do it. Uh, they could have, they could have worked on yeah. that a little more. And, and while we're on the subject though, this is where I thought it got pretty interesting. There was a scene where they were taking down the servers inside of what was it called? Pen electronics yes. or pen technologies. Whatever or it was. Um, and in that scene, they have a, a an army of flying ants that are helping Ant Man, and it's it's pretty spectacular. You know that like everything you're seeing on screen is all CGI. Sure, I, I didn't like some of the things that they did to take down the servers. I thought I thought it was absurd and sensational. I actually thought it was pretty good. Uh, well, like you know the idea that all the servers go on the fritz and like electrical lightning bolts, you know, start shooting out of them, and I was like, oh, come on. Well, no, I mean, because they had the thing that was generating electricity, and they'd already shown that showed that the ants like had this electric capacity. I thought it was fine. The, there were some clever ideas. It just seemed like it was too cartoony. But but then Science the idea fiction? that happened along the way, sure sure, I'll give you that. <laughs> uh, we're just we're both arguing for different elements of science fiction that we appreciate. Uh, the, here is one of the ideas that I appreciated: this idea that he kept on reaffirming the ants, like praising them, yes, and uh, thanking them and talking to them in a human way. Yes, I like that. Now, when you talk to your dog, you don't expect your dog to really understand you. Yet at the same time, we talk to our dogs like yeah. I thought it was very much they talk us. to them, they talk to the ants like dogs. Yes, but here's the difference. He's, they're actually telepathically able to truly understand his wishes. True. And for that reason, it occurred to me, this is fascinating. What if the ants developed like some sort of intelligent mind emotions? Like what if they started to mirror the, the, the wishes and the concerns, the fears that Ant-Man Scott Lang has himself like in a way that you would never get from an animal at the zoo or from a master over animals, you know, in the circus or a trainer who's just really like a dog whisperer. Like you would never get that with just a normal human being and men's best friend. You would never get that. But here you're telepathically communicating with ants and you're living and dying together. And when there's a significant moment where one of the ants dies that Antman cared about, he is still telepathically linked to all the ants. Now, in all of human history, ants would not have cared about one of their own dying. <laughs> and here, they're, they're hearing the thoughts of a human being that is able to emote so far beyond what they would emote. So it occurred to me, like, what if they develop this in the, a future installment where they have Ant-Man, and perhaps there's an interesting idea here where the ant's behavior changes for good or bad or both, and it influences, like, various scenarios. I was like, that could be really clever. That'd be really well played. 
but that, that was my, my side note that just in my own little fantasy land of like, what would I do with an Ant-Man sequel? I would explore that with this idea that perhaps the ants even start to get into Scott's head. Like maybe at some point the technology has a reverse effect causation and he starts to hear like the thoughts of the ants in response to his own. But then he has to basically um, realize that one way or the other, he is going to uh, relate to them better and he has to make sure that they don't like overwhelm him because there are thousands of ants that he's commanding at any given time and he's just one human human being. That could be that could be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's an interesting thing to explore. Anyway, uh, okay, so you're ready to talk about the end credit scene? Yes. So um, this would be the post post credit scene. Um, and uh, the first thing I want to point out is that uh, the next film that Ant Man will appear in is Captain America: Civil War. We also know that Tony Stark is appearing in, in Captain America Civil War. We also know that Falcon is going to be in Captain America Civil War. We also know that <laughs> Natasha Romanoff is going to be in Captain America Civil War. Um, we also know that Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, will be in Captain America Civil War. We also know that Clinton Barton as Hawkeye will be in Captain America Civil War. We know that Bucky Barnes is going to be... Like, so we know that Vision is going to be... Are you sensing a pattern here? Captain America Civil War is actually the next Avengers film. <laughs> Just so we're all clear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ant-Man is going to be appearing in that film, and they definitely led into that with, uh, right before the credits, uh, Falcon was looking for uh, for Ant-Man. And then uh, you have the very end credits where I don't know exactly what's going on with Bucky Barnes, but there's something weird going on there, and they can't talk, they can't trust Iron Man, and, and I don't know what's, so there's definitely, definitely setting up Civil War. Like, that's the next thing that's going to happen in this universe, so... Uh, possibly exciting things are ahead. Although I really would rather the team actually team up and fight bad guys. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm of mixed feelings about the civil war business. Hmm. I, I think that the scene at the end of the credits wasn't even necessary. It was a fun tease just because oh, no, I thought it was one of the better ones. It was not poorly done. It was just not very helpful because like you're describing, what good does it serve us if we're trying to go into the next film with better knowledge? It, it really doesn't help. It's not it's, to give you knowledge, though. It's, it's a tease. They don't want you to have more knowledge. They want you to get excited. Sure. It's just that with all these other little cookies they give us at the end of their credits throughout all these movies, cookies. it feels like they're misrepresentations. I don't know why I just thought of Cookie Monster when you said cookies. <laughs> <laughs> cookie. <laughs> you want cookie? Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I I feel like that every time that Marvel has these little teasers, it's just to like stoke the audience, but for no real reason. Mm, like mm, they could make up mm, anything they want mm, for these teases. Okay. They they could show something completely offhanded, unrelated to the mo- next movie. And we would forget oh, by oh. the time we saw the movie that it, that it did or did not have anything to do with the next movie. You mean movie. like with Howard the Duck? Exactly. <laughs> or uh, shawarma. shawarma. I'd rather just see the, uh, something funny like shawarma see, but I, I than like, anything else. I like, I like him mixing it up. I like him doing some serious stuff. I like him doing shawarma. I like him doing Howard the Duck. Like I like it all. I'm, I'm happy with it all. I am an equal opportunity end credit scene kind of person. I, I do think it's very telling, though. It does communicate to me that they're not going to make a big deal of introducing the Winter Soldier to the Avengers 
in the film when that happens. Like, because at this point we know that Captain and Falcon have already met with the Winter Soldier and they now have him like under wraps and he is in secret. Yes, there might be a rift between uh, Iron Man and Captain America concerning the you know the secrets that they hold and whether or not captain should have withheld that secret you know perhaps even against the wishes of shield itself we don't know yet but at least they're not going to make a big deal about captain finding the winter soldier like meeting with him personally and trying to reason with him and talk to him and like bring him out of his shell it seems like they're going to gloss over a lot of that because of how they portrayed the scene yeah so that that's one thing that we gleaned from this if you stop to think about the implications for the, the that film because they're not going to begin with that film you know f- with a flashback showing captain finding the winter soldier that's impractical at this point they're going to assume that they've well established that captain has found the winter soldier and so that does not need to be a sequence in the following film yeah sure that, that, that's fine um i'm not saying though that they i i mean who knows who knows mm. yeah I, I liked it. It's uh it's worth mentioning because it's not a bad one. It's not like Howard the Duck. <laughs> All right, Joe, let's let's wrap it up. What is your star rating and why is it that? I give it four out of five stars, TJ. I love this film. It's entertaining. I still have problems with it that I didn't even get to get to, like the villain's, you know, like exposition. <laughs> at the end of the film when he's like <laughs> mouthing off at the heroes at the beginning of the climax that was just dumb and another problem i had was that i don't understand why scott gets to keep the super suit at the end of the movie um but, that, but we do not have time to argue about that why not i'm just gonna say that um he's the he's the end man now you, you, whatever you say tj <laughs> uh this is the last uh, I, I don't know how to put this, but like it feels like now that they have established Ant-Man with this movie, he is last but not least of this wave of, of Marvel movies. He's, he's so very impressive. I would have been happy to have seen him come earlier in the Marvel film franchise, even if he didn't appear in an Avengers movie. Mm. He, he's been just such a solid lead. Uh, I, I feel like the leading lady was stifled in this movie. And uh, because of that, an important subplot or two that didn't really make sense, I still see that it's possible to overlook these sins and forgive it in light of all of the entertaining dialogue. And honestly, you disliked the fast pace and you felt like it was too choppy for its own good. I do agree that it was choppy, but not at the expense of the well-being of the entertainment value. And because it was simply a good, hearty, amusing, heartwarming film that had some clever fun along the way, like giant ants and giant Thomas, the tank engine. I, <laughs> I can't help, but just enjoy this film and I can't wait to share it with other people and watch it again. All right, good. So you give it four stars. Um, I've been wrestling with, with what I'm going to give it. It's still not in the outline cause I'm still wrestling with it, but I'm landing more on the four stars than the three and a half. But I was, I, I was between three and a half and four stars. I'm going to go with four stars. I definitely recommend this film. It's it's a lot of fun. It's zany. It's witty. It has a lot of one-liners. Uh, it has a really good story at its heart. Uh, I think despite the issues that I think both of us actually do have with the stifling and the suppressing of the leading lady, I think that it is good uh, in that it sets up more from her in future films. Um, I think that there is a lot of heart in this film, even though there was a director change, even though I think it would have had more heart with the previous director. I do still think this film is worth something. I think that there is still a lot of Edgar Wright's handprint on this film. 
Um, and I think it's it's worth watching. Um, I think that it's definitely a worthwhile installment. It is it is by far not not, not my least favorite film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. I I would put it way up there. Um, you know, maybe not as good as either of the Avengers films. Uh, maybe not as good as Captain America: The Winter Soldier, but maybe right after that. I think maybe that's where I'd put it. Um, and it is just a lot of fun. So I would definitely recommend this film to folks at four out of five stars. I'm proud of you, TJ. Ah. Thank you for coming around. <laughs> what do you mean coming around? <laughs> I, that's where I've been. So Did you already mention IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes? I'm getting there uh, before okay. you so rudely interrupted me. Uh, the IMDb users rate this film 8.0 out of 10. They really like it. Uh, and that's about four out of five stars. That is four out of five stars. And then uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 80% approval rating from the critics and 92% from the audience ratings. So that is how things are stacking up. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Really looking forward to this. I always enjoy a good Mission Impossible film. What about you, Joe? Me too. I was actually looking forward to two films. I was really hoping to see Holmes, but then there's this one too, so I could take either one. I'm not seeing Holmes playing in any theaters, so that could be a problem. Yeah, that's just rotten shame. Yeah. Well, we want to tell folks where we want to remind them uh, where they can get their T-shirts. Uh, we uh, will be ending the show uh, after episode, at episode 150. That will be the last episode. But uh, you can get T-shirts to show just how much you loved this show and to show that you're really looking forward to what we do with the reboot of this show. Uh, that's that's coming up soon in the next few months. Uh, make sure you go to moviebyte.com slash t-shirt and order your uh, t-shirt through teespring.com. Uh, the more uh, the more shirts you order, the more support you guys show. We would really love you to do that. Um, and I mean, they're just they're just awesome t-shirts. They just are. Uh, so make sure you get them. What do you think, Joe? They're pretty cool. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked because I've never had a graphic tee of my own making that was for yeah, me. And me either. Something I did. I've got a lot I've of made t-shirts. graphic tees before, but this is the first that was for me. Yes, I've got a lot of t-shirts from podcasts that I've liked over the years. I've got, uh, you know, uh, ATP. I've got Hi- Hypercritical. Um, I've got several other t-shirts from different things. Uh, I've got uh, a t-shirts from the company that I work for for cool products that we make, and I've I've got hats and different things. But this is the first product that I have made and you and I made together that represents something that we've done. And we want to see people, we want to be like, I want this t-shirt to be so popular that we like go out and like, we're just, every, everybody's wearing it. Like it's the cool thing to do. So <laughs> I don't think it'll ever come to that, but I, I would love to actually spot one of these in the wild. No, really. If I happen to be going yeah. to movies and just see yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. wearing one of these, that'd be the, the best experience ever. No doubt. Please, please go and, and support us and what we're doing. We've got some cool stuff in the pipeline and it would be really helpful. I set a goal on Teespring for 20. I'd love to blow that away. Uh, so head on out there there and buy your shirt help us buy three buy ten buy ten that'd be awesome and give them to all your friends for christmas yes program. yes they're amazing it comes in uh movie bite red and space gray as you're calling it joe so uh <laughs> yeah get your t-shirts moviebite.com slash t-shirt if you want to find uh show notes for this episode you can go to moviebite.com slash mb podcast slash 145 you will find a link to the t-shirts there of course because we're pushing them really hard you will also find all the links to all the things we talked about in those show notes you can share that link with friends if you want them to hear this episode or if you want to share the show notes with them you can share that link with them as well joe where can people follow you on twitter and your site and all your other podcasts when you're uh, hanging out with other people besides me which makes me sad where can people do that (laughs) I am underscore Joe Darnell online, and my personal website is joedarnell.com. You can also find my other shows. They are 
Top Brew and Tectonic. That's T-E-C-H, Tonic, Tectonic. And so between the three of them, I have plenty of stuff for everybody to listen to. And you know what's really cool, TJ, is that recently some of my listeners on the other shows have mentioned that they have been like pulling marathons and listening to all the shows in a row when they discovered them. And I was just truly just moved by that. Just I, 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 I love you so much, guys. Anyone listening to this show that also enjoys the other shows, I think that's incredible. I really appreciate your encouragement, and I'm really enjoying podcasts as a whole. I love this community. Podcast listeners, TJ, are some of the best people on earth. They're the brightest, they're the best, they're the awesomest. So, uh, yeah, get your t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Joe, people love you. And people, if you if you can tolerate me, you can put up with me. You can follow me at TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for us. We'll be reviewing Mission Impossible Rogue Nation next week. Until then, we're out. See you later, Joe. Ta-ta, TJ. Good show, sir. Good. Good, good. Um, I don't like it when we argue. <laughs> I, I appreciate it because usually when we argue, we usually argue every episode or we have a disagreement anyway. But, not but like I felt very strongly about these. I, I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked that that you did not see any of the same things concerning the leading lady. I, like, it's not that I didn't see them. It's that I thought you were way too harsh on them. No. I mean like – Every moment of her appearance in this movie, I felt like they were doing her a disservice as a character. And then I I was like, oh, come on. The kiss, that's just ruining everything. Uh, So so I I feel like if they could go back and redo anything to make this a better movie, they would need to course correct anything to do with Hope. I'm not saying that that she needed to be completely a different person, a a different character. She still needs to fulfill the same role. It's just that they needed to go about it more reasonably and and give her better lines and not make her conflict with her father seem so Hollywoodized. it breathed a little bit more like real human emotion. Hey, haven't you it. had enough time to talk about this on the show? Yes. Okay. But I didn't think you were listening. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Let's hey, talk about Peggy Carter some more. Uh, let's not, uh, because I uh, <laughs> want to get the show edited and I don't want to spend the next 20 hours talking about uh, your obsession with Haley Atwell. <laughs> Can that be the title? Let's talk about Peggy Carter some more. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Scrap that idea. Okay.